0: Oh, by the way, did anybody email you since we no one has emailed me yet. Disappointment. Does it the sound of disappointment? Listen. Ooh, that's harsh. <laughs> that was it <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 83 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host in Whitby, Aaron Vey. Hey there. And we have our guest host in Toronto, Ontario, Greg Heo. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All right. So?
1: So I'm the only non-Canadian on the call today?
0: Yeah, you represent the uh, American, crazi- American, okay. cra- American yeah, craziness down there. Well, let's put it this way. When Kat- when Tammy's the only American on the show, she refuses to talk about politics.
1: Probably a wise move.
0: Yeah, well, she doesn't talk about it anyway, so... <laughs> All right, so uh, listen, Greg, you had some you had some items you brought up on the show a couple of weeks ago uh, when you were on, and you were disappointed that Mark wasn't on the show. So why don't you take this opportunity to bring those things up again and see what Mark has to say about them?
2: Oh, I have to scroll back and look. I didn't really have anything... To, you were talking about hang on i know i had stuff to bring up and i just thought oh if mark is here he can say a few words but it wasn't actually like oh mark i have a list of questions it wasn't like that it was more like no
0: no i what i mean is like now we can use it as a follow-up point right
2: i don't have any new actual articles or anything like that mark tell us about building d ram
0: <laughs> why, why don't you give him some contests mark doesn't listen to the show actually
2: uh, of course uh no it was just the week after you were talking about um the possible end of moore's law and there was this article about samsung and making dram and uh high k dielectric materials aren't ready and they were going with a honeycomb shape instead and i was just Uh curious i've heard before that dram is like easy well i've heard both i've heard it's easy to make or more difficult to make but when people are going shrinking down the process dram is like they want to start with that because it's relatively easy to make is that true? Yeah. And if for the fans who want to follow along with semiconductor fabrication, what sort of where should they be looking for the sort of where the innovations are coming?
1: <laughs> well, so it's it's sort of true what you said. It, it, in in one sense, it's it's easy to make because the designs are pretty much the same, and they've kind of been locked in stone sort of forever. You know, it's 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 a uh, you know it, it's it's hard to optimize a a memory cell too much. You know, in in the in the circuit uh, sense, uh, so so in that sense you're not coming up against any crazy new technical challenges in in terms of the of the circuit design that's going to cause your circuit to not work when it when it used to uh because of some interaction with the tech, with the technology at the same time on the other hand uh it's harder to make because it tends to push the technology so usually you'll get the most aggressive technologies coming out in RAMs DRAMs and SRAMs Uh, before you get them in say a microprocessor uh, partly because of cost uh, pressures Uh, there's always you know there's always a a drive to get more and more memory uh, available for a lower cost so they tend to use the most aggressive technologies for that because you can fit more on I guess I guess also partly because it is a it's sort of a known, a known beast so it's you know it's there's not long design cycles like there would be for a a more complicated cycle a complicated circuit
2: hmm. okay
1: so yeah uh so um where can people look well that's a good question uh i don't really keep too current with this stuff so i don't know the that the best places but i would say go to yeah the the leaders in this stuff in the world these days are are intel and TSMC. Uh, and Samsung too. So, I would you know start with their websites. They all have you know technology description type websites. And if you get really really interested in it, there's there's all sorts of technical journals you can dig into. You can go to the uh, IEDM meeting, which is the International Electronic Device Meeting in San Francisco every year. Uh, but that's probably more than most people want to do. <laughs>
2: okay. Yeah. Uh, the article so, I posted was yeah. an article about one of the. White papers or something are something um, our papers that Samsung had released, so it was a little more readable. But okay, mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. I find that uh, com is a really good resource uh, from a journalistic point of view for processors and processor news. They go really in depth when new CPUs come out, for example,
1: mm.
3: like twelve-page reviews. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah, there's there's a uh... There's kind of a decoupling between the design side and the technology side. They they sort of work together, but uh, if you're talking about the design of, say, a microprocessor, you're going to see all sorts of things like you know multiple cores and how do they work together and all that kind of stuff. And 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 you know how do you get the most performance out of a set of transistors? Uh, that's that's a different technological problem from how do you get more transistors and make them reliable. So that's the technology side. So they work together, but they're but they're uh, they really are kind of distinct fields, and uh, you know different people are working on them. Uh, for example, TSMC is really the expert. Well, you know, Intel might argue this, but they're the expert at at the the technology development side, where where Intel does a lot more on the on the design side. But of course, there's a lot of overlap.
3: Top men. <laughs> Top men. Top men. That's a, that's a Raiders of the Lost Ark reference for all you youngins out there. Mm.
0: Okay. Way more than just code, as Aaron likes to say. Not that much more than just code. No. Okay, that's true. Interesting stuff.
3: A little so, bit more than just code.
0: So reading
2: the notes here where it says, you get a beta, and you get a beta, and you get a beta, that has to be Greg oh my god is it that obvious <laughs> yeah it seems so like is no no end to the beta i mean they've broken the usual two-week cycle of betas and we've gone through a uh, beta every week god. maybe for the last three weeks although i think feels no, like longer than that no xcode beta though last i checked it was only the operating systems that had betas updated yeah. betas i mean um, yeah so ios
0: 9 is or sorry are we in nine yeah. we are in nine nine three for ios <laughs> Nine three, but a uh, nine three or nine five? I thought nine three for iOS. Nine three, yeah. Okay, okay. And it's an Xcode. So iOS iOS ten has had. Uh, sorry, iOS. Listen to me.
2: OS ten has got is now at it its seventh beta. Yes, that would okay, iOS that as was. well. iOS nine three is on beta seven. Uh, but again, I think Xcode is still on beta five. Last time I checked. Hmm. Uh, so I was reading it and I was just reading through the notes. I haven't been really keeping tabs on what new user facing features are in there, but I did know this. Uh, it's not new in this beta, but uh, the Notes app now lets you encrypt or secure some certain messages that uses Touch ID now. So this is mm-hmm. an interesting additional use of encryption. And that just kind of reminded me that I just updated the Outlook app on iOS, which I use for mail. And that now mm-hmm. has an option to say, require Touch ID on launch, kind of like 1Password does. I also use Date 1, which has that. Mm-hmm. And now Outlook has it, which is... I guess kind of nice if my phone happened to be unlocked and sitting there, no one could go in and read my mail. Um, so I don't know Good if it's idea. a trend, but I kind of like it. I like the idea of having that.
1: Yeah, Well, I think there's definitely a, a move towards more encryption coming out of Apple these days for, for whatever reason.
0: Mm. In, I wonder what that could be. be. Why? Don't yeah.
2: know why, but yeah. But it's just nice, especially, I don't have a success, but I've heard that the success is way, way faster with the Touch ID recognition. So it's just, you launch an app, you just you know, lightly just quickly press your finger down for the Touch ID and the Apple launch as usual. So it seems very, very seamless. And again, even for Outlook on my ancient, ancient iPhone 6, it's still really fast and I really like it.
1: I actually saw along those lines, I saw an article saying that Apple was was uh, pursuing iCloud encryption a lot more strongly as well. Mm. And And then I saw another article that That mentioned, I think this might have just come up today, that mentioned that uh, Apple is is now looking at the Google Cloud platform for iCloud. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, they signed a deal.
3: Uh, They're moving away from AWS. Ah. Well,
1: and I actually thought that they were using uh, uh, the IBM one. For, for something or azure i've heard all sorts of rumors i mean maybe they use multiple ones i suppose
2: i remember the but, uh, azure yeah or the azure as uh, our friends would say i remember hearing that one for sure that people saw microsoft and all kinds of things in the headers when you were accessing iCloud i remember that yeah. right
1: right hmm
2: yeah but and google then a, wow. is it
1: is it is a blue wave is or blue mix rather is the ibm one that there was a lot of talk about yeah collaboration there
2: yeah well that's where yeah. they're hosting that uh, swift sandbox or whatever that is that's on blue mix hmm now that IBM and Apple are such good friends in terms of Swift
1: yep I think it makes sense for
2: Apple to spread it around though right if uh, yeah, you, sure. you don 't want to rely on just one vendor for your
3: infrastructure, and that 's just how they do it with uh, with manufacturing too, right They True. like to spread around the contracts no no one dependency that they need to rely on and worry about. It seems mm-hmm. really
2: strange mm-hmm. to do that with i 'll call it hosting for lack of a better word, but like <laughs> Would you really say, I'm going to put my content on AWS, and I'm going to put my WordPress site on there, and I'm going to host my WordPress site on some other completely different host to do it? Well, it's a little more sophisticated than that, I think. It is, yeah. (laughs) But it seems strange that you could knit together all these different products into sort of one coherent thing. Like, is it really as um, piecemeal, or like, if AWS, uh, Amazon went evil, like... Is right. it really that important to make it really easy to say, no, we're going to shift off of AWS and put more stuff on Bluemix? Like, it doesn't seem as easy as just moving a slider back and forth. Well, I got
3: to yeah. think, yeah, actually, that
2: agree. they, yeah, I
3: know on the surface it seems that way, but I I have to think that what Apple has done, like the iCloud team, has made made it so that they can transparently use different storage providers you know right, yeah, so they yeah. probably have a data center where they're they're hosting the logic or something you know and maybe caching data but you know for for mass storage they're using whoever you know and and yeah, maybe yeah. it is as simple as you know having a system that uh automatically determines you know what uh, what to provision uh for a certain block of data uh and yeah. they're just being completely um oh, I've lost the word <laughs> Uh, you know, where you don't have any particular allegiance.
2: Yeah. No, I imagine like taking the analogy of a CDN, like you have one Mm -hmm. server, let's say at the front and then you have a hundred different things in the back, but everybody just sees that one server and you decide where to dispatch it to. I just feel like since these are, as long as they're not using them as just dumb buckets of storage, like if they're actually using running code on these things, it seems like a lot of work to abstract it out to say this piece of code that we've written can run on Google Cloud on Azure on Bluemix on AWS wherever that seems like a lot of work for I don't know Apple loves not relying on people so I guess I understand but Damn. it seems like a lot of work but,
1: but it it opens some interesting questions so you know say my data is is on Amazon and Greg your data is on uh, Azure and and uh, Aaron your data is going to be now on Google and and we interact a lot it seems like our our uh, performance is is going to be much much worse than if just randomly we were all three of us on one system.
2: Yeah, the sharding aspect of it is just strange to me unless again if it's yeah. just buckets of bits like we're going to do mm-hmm. all the processing and we're just going to store the data on Azure and we're just going to you know you're just a you're just a data store, a dumb data store. Yeah, it could, it I could be. I guess I could see yeah. that. That would be my guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they have to have a distributed network for to serve the planet, basically, because we have Apple users all over the place, right? So, yeah. But they, they did, didn't they? Build a big, giant something or other uh, data center with you know, uh, with all kinds of like um, solar panels on them a couple of years ago. Like, three, oh, they've a got ago? a couple
3: of them. They got mm-hmm. one in North Carolina. They have one in Oregon. Yeah. yeah. So Sorry. yes, they are, and that they they have a lot of infrastructure that they need. Yeah. So it makes sense to imagine at least that they have a processing and messaging infrastructure yeah. but they can outsource this the raw data storage to all of these other providers that are really you know on the face of it probably quite inexpensive
0: Hmm, that's true yeah, especially, especially if they can value, play them right? yeah, yeah exactly they can yeah, play them yeah. against each other right yeah they wouldn't want to have any dark wire because then they'd be you know these the other companies that are providing the service would obviously want to have a fat contract with apple you know for that kind of stuff right right and like you said, I, I think maybe, you know, like you said, maybe they're agnostic about who they who they ride with, you know, as it were. You know. That's the word I was looking for. Thanks, yeah. Tim. Yeah. And it,
1: it does, it adds redundancy, too. And, you know, in case there's a major catastrophe at any one of the sites, then then uh, Apple isn't completely down.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, who posted, no developer wants to hear about the Apple Store?
3: I did. I posted everything else after that in this okay. uh, document. So uh, this was an article that came out, Just after last week's show was recorded. So, the absolute worst time. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Friday. No, So, not not really right after. But whatever. Let's not get a technical, Tim. Come on. Get off my case. So, (laughs) Rene Ritchie of iMore.com wrote a piece where he is describing the current state of things in the App Store. And expressing his fear that we have long felt, of course. And uh, that's why I bring it to us, our attention tonight, because this has been one of our ongoing themes for as long as we've been recording this ep- uh, this show. So Rene Ritchie is talking about the advent, <laughs> um, and perhaps it's always been this way, of popular apps as opposed to indie apps on the App Store. Mm-hmm. He makes a couple of nice analogies, actually, that I uh, quite enjoyed when I was reading this. And one of them was around the concept of wooden handcrafted toys versus plastic toys right when that transition occurred maybe you know in the age of plastic <laughs> we we sort of lost something uh, in that sort of bespoke era of of handcrafted wooden toys for children which right. You know, many people still own today, you know, from their own childhoods and treasure them. That is not the case anymore, of course. You know, plastic toys are are the most common, they're most affordable, inexpensive, uh, they're clogging our basements, and they are not treasured. So, apps are like that, too, in his analogy. So, we have uh, an indie core of developers who want to make bespoke apps that are high quality, beautifully crafted, and serving... You know, a, a particular niche, for example, but they are getting swamped on the store by all the plastic, cheap crap. And mm-hmm. uh, he's bemoaning the fact that this is happening, but uh, it is the state of things, and there's not really a darn thing we can do about it except make a conscious effort to support those indie developers. And he said he's going to do that. Hooray for us. So, <laughs> <laughs> are, uh, are there things that can be done to change it? possibly the whole idea of, uh, upgrade pricing and, um, and, uh, trial pricing, uh, he feels, and I tend to agree, uh, may help, but probably wouldn't do too much to move the needle. It all comes down to the same old thing. And I think, uh, Mark, uh, has probably said it best. Uh, you know, you, you are not owed your success on the app store. You have to bust your hump to make it happen. And it's not just development, it's marketing. Um, and uh, it's it's a lot of hard work. So that's that's what this piece is all about. And I can't say that you you're going to come away from reading it uh, all excited and pumped up and ready to take on the world. <laughs> unfortunately,
0: well, it's true what you said. Like it's kind of it's been a little disappointing for those of us who've been you know in the game for a while, if you will. Like, and it comes back down to what is your motivation? What's your intent for making an app? And and I've always maintained I, I like to make apps because I like making things and I like putting them out there for people to use and and it would have been nice if if people you know liked them enough to buy them and pay for them but that, that's not been the reality so and that that's disheartening you know if 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 you're you know we put a lot of effort into these things and and they're getting lost in this blizzard of of apps on the app store you know. Um, And, you know, the big players come in and they have the million dollar marketing budgets and they just, you know, people just get wiped out. But it's interesting, though, as I said before, you know, I'm I'm now commuting to work and I get to see I was commuting before when I went to customers. I would ride the subway and stuff like that. And at around five o'clock, you see everybody on the transit has some sort of smart device and they're playing games and a lot of times they're just playing like or they're reading a book on a Kindle or they're reading a book on their iPad iPad mini or something mm-hmm. like that and they're playing these little sort of mindless you know connect three things uh kind of games right and occasionally i see people playing the you know the sort of um clash of clans kind of type of games but in building apps it's it's pretty disappointing as an indie to sort of go into you know to to sort of think you put all this time and effort into something and and you know at some point uh you uh you kind of get to the realization that it's really not worth the effort in a sense, right? Um, we just came back from our W Greg and I, and I spoke to a few developers there. Um, some who were stalled because they they you know they kind of put all this effort into an app, and they they uh, you know they they hired some people to help them with their apps and stuff like that, and and they got them to a point where. They may. I didn't actually see the apps that these people were talking about. They, but they, they kind of felt stuck. Like, they, what was the point of continuing on with, with the effort, right? So, which is sad to hear, you know. And I was kind of trying to say, hey, listen, man, just you know, get, get, get your app out there and give it your best shot, right? So, well, we that's were...
3: that's terrible advice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe it is. My my point is, I didn't want I didn't want them to sort of give up on on the whole idea of building an app because I mean, why, why not? Go... Why not? Let me challenge you, Tim. Well, because in, in one particular guy was, was telling me about this app, he, he's into cheese, and like he likes all kinds of different cheese, and he thought he would build an app to sort of, you know, and he was used based on some of the tutorials that we've done on the on the Rable Learning site, um, you know, a way of just sort of informing people about cheese and giving them information about it and that kind of stuff. And he kind of thought this was something he could go to a market with. And I said, sure, like, that does sound like a, a decent app to to do, and there there is a market for that. I mean, people like cheese, right? There's all kinds of different cheese, and I don't know one cheese from another per se. I mean, I, you know, I know the the big players in the game, but I don't know the sort of you know off in the outskirts uh, cheeses, if you will. Um, and a tool like that might be kind of nice for people to have, right? And and I, I know with that ads going away, maybe he's, there's a revenue stream he's lost, but uh, but he felt disheartened about about you know continue on. And but I you know kind of I kind of had a feeling he was like eighty percent of the way there. And I didn't want him to give up, thinking that that it's gone. But but that said, what we're talking about here is that you know it, it's very disappointing for indie developers to look at the state of the app store and come to the realization that that there isn't the app store itself isn't a vehicle to be discovered, right? Isn't that what we're talking about in this this article, Aaron? Well, certainly. Um... <laughs> Well, you, you like, so I I don't mean to drag you out into the carpet here, but you you mentioned Magpie yesterday at, at the taco meetup, right? And the fact that you know it's kind of flatlined, and and it, to use your words, and you know you weren't really going to go very far with it. Far with it, and and the talk, by the way, for those listening at home, driving their cars, was on app t- on TV iOS development. And when we all were asked if you know who's who's built apps, like three quarters of the room raised their hands and. They said who's shipped an app, and the only person with their hands held up was Aaron, right? So kudos to you, Aaron, first of all. Yeah. But you know, like you, like you know, as you were saying yesterday, it's 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 been been a very disappointing experience for you, right? The- tvOS development was not the disappointment it's no it, yeah it's just kind of uh, i think it's still uh, like after seeing mark's talk mark held latest talk about tvOS i'm inspired to go back and at least try and build some tv uh, tvOS apps just for the sake of doing it i'm like i'm a maker i like to make things right? yeah 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 like okay so let's let's uh pick this apart a little bit here
3: because sure. i think um what we don't want to do is confuse the hobby of doing IOS cocoa development. Let's call it cocoa development. Mm -hmm. Okay. And catch it all. Okay? Um let's not confuse the the hobby, the amateur time, the fun, yeah. Of doing development with the business. Right. Right? So an indie developer is someone who is trying to make a living selling their apps, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so let's not confuse the two. And like if we can do both, then that's ideal, and that's been my goal for a very long time now. I'm I feel like I have to be a lot more realistic about my chances of achieving that goal. And that's that's sort of why uh I was saying what I did about about Magpie last night at the meeting, one of my top customers, Sohail, um big fan of Magpie. He thinks it's fantastic. He gets it, you know? Mm-hmm. Very but he's in a very small group, right? And it is what it is. I don't have the resources to market it. I I don't think that there are a ton of people that understand the value proposition of the app and that's fine. You know, like it's just the way it is. You know, there's yep. too many people out there and the things that they actually do with their iOS devices are as prosaic as you could imagine. And they're already covered by all the candy crushes and the clash of clams. <laughs> and like, God knows what else there is on the damn platform. I don't care about them at all myself, but there they are. So at us, at some point though, I, as a developer, uh, a, putative indie developer, have to run a calculus around whether to invest more time and effort into adding features and improving the performance of Magpie Mm -hmm. versus giving up on it and moving on to another project. And it makes sense to think about an existing product as something that, that is more readily maintained. It doesn't take as much effort as it would to start something brand new. On the other hand, I can see the trajectory of where Magpie's going, and it's nowhere, you know? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and every feature that I can think to add doesn't change that calculus. Right, right. I add a new feature and I don't think that it's newsworthy. I don't think it's uh going to make anybody's interest perk. The fact of the matter is it is what it is, it works as it works, and it is essentially what i intended nothing that i can add to it is going to change that and make more sales it's not going to change how many more people buy the app which is very few and um that was validated as well by a far more nimble competitor coming into the market this anvil app i think it's called i always forget the name
0: yeah i was going to ask you about that one. yeah
3: so uh, a fellow that worked at Panic. Uh, right. yeah, I've forgotten his name, too. I just, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm getting old, Tim. That's the thing. Well, we, I'm getting old. we talked
0: about him on, on the show previously. We'll find it. In yes, the we
3: did. Notes. Yeah. Uh, thank you. That would be wonderful. So that app has received a lot more exposure than Magpie did, even though it came out much later. Uh, and I just, let, the other week, I saw that it got a review in Macworld. Oh really? Um, yes, yes. Wow. <laughs> of course it did <laughs> because it's uh it's a better known app. So Right. The fact of the matter is though it has a lot of limitations in how it works. Uh just as Magpie does because I swear to god we're using the same sort of back-end technology to parse videos and uh so won't get too far into that but the fact mm-hmm. is it's um it's an imperfect app. And he got slagged for it in the review. I think oh, he ended really? up with two and a half mice. Wow. It was not, you know, that great. I mean, the the app is nice. It works well. But I think that if Magpie had been reviewed, it probably would have gotten a similar rating. Mm. You know, um, all that is to say, I don't think his app has done too well. And he is in better position to get those initial users. Um, and I know that my app has not done very well. So... <laughs> You know, <laughs> for for all that it's worth, uh, at this particular market is not a very plum one. So, in my calculus as a you know possible indie developer, I'm moving on to a new project. You know, and I've got a whole bunch of ideas around you know why I'm targeting the the project that I'm working on now, um, but I'm not ready to talk about that here yet. Uh, suffice to say. Uh, you you really have to be very careful and thoughtful about what you do if you want to be an indie developer.
1: Well, I agree that it, it all comes down to whether whether it's a, a hobby or a business. Uh, it, if it's a hobby, you just build whatever you want, and yep. and you build it because it's cool and you like it, and and if a few people also like it, awesome, you know. But but you can't really expect anything more than that. And if you and if you ever start building an app without having done a real Business analysis of what that app's going to be, then you have to say that this is a hobby. If it's if you're trying to make a business out of this, then then you, you really have to make a case of where's the money going to come from. And and if you're a good businessman, and I, I'm not claiming that I'm you know that great at this, but but I but I've learned that this is the case. Uh, if you're a good businessman, you basically don't do anything unless there's yeah a, an outcome that's that's and and yeah sure there's there's risk i mean nothing nothing is is guaranteed but if but if you think there's you know an 80 percent chance that that this thing is going to make money and you have some data to back that up you know x numbers of users like this kind of thing you know that's not to pick on your cheese friend but but you know yeah a lot of people eat cheese Uh Um, a lot of people love cheese uh but you know is an app going to help them appreciate cheese anymore i don't know maybe uh, and and if so, then if there's enough people who eat cheese and use apps, and and it gives them enough value, then then maybe you got something there. And, and I'm not I'm not trying to make a judgment on that case. I'm just using it as an example. Of course. Uh, but but you have to kind of go through that analysis, go through that process, and and figure out where the money's coming from before you ever write a single line of code. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a hobby, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with it being a hobby.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And coming back to, I mean, exactly what you were just saying about, about the fact of the matter is, you know, when I was in my businessman mode, you know, in terms of what I was doing with my business and where it was going, I was always sort of thinking about, you know, profit, you know, how much effort was required to do something, whether it was profitable, and to, and to sort of cut away the things that weren't that, that I could make money at, right? But, but even, even having said that in the last 10 years, one thing I learned is I'm probably better off having a day job than trying to go out on my own, you know? financially i can prove that like so aaron was kind of picking on me and a little bit on greg about our decisions to sort of go work for the man as it were right perhaps tongue firmly planted in cheek but that the reality is is is, it's taken me a while to realize that uh that uh i guess it wasn't really a long while but (laughs) it took me a while to realize that, that i am happier you know just sort of going in doing my bit and then having the free time to work on other things like this podcast, you know, and things like that, right. Without having to worry about, you know, what are the, how many hours are going into editing the podcast and stuff like that. And is it really profiting me or blah, 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 you know? Well,
3: that's, that's all good. I, I think the, 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 the nub of this discussion is if you're considering being an indie developer, yeah. can you make the business case for doing it? And, can you parlay it into something that's possibly successful? The The overwhelming evidence suggests that it's not, right? Right. That yeah. the vast majority yeah. of people that are going to try this are going to fail unless they have the resources of a large company behind them. Mm-hmm. And it's noteworthy. And I think you probably noticed this as well, Tim, last night at our taco meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the Toronto area Cocoa Heads chapter. So. Um, when we have our meetings, you know, we typically go around the room and introduce ourselves. And right. any anybody that's looking to hire often uses that opportunity to point it out. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a, a potential customer that I was dealing with a while back, and he was looking for someone uh, as a developer. And since I took a job elsewhere, I wasn't able to help him, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought I'd put the word out. And th- so I did that at the meeting last night. And then, you know, four other people also were like, you know, we're hiring, too. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and for, for you know, companies that were far more name-checkable, if you will, than, than the one I had, yeah. uh, you know, Shopify's hiring, uh, Flixel's hiring, right. um, you know, Gene, I don't know his, his company name, he was hiring, um, well, all kinds of people were hiring, and everybody in the room—and they were over thirty—they were all just, you know, sitting there with their arms crossed and little secret smile on their faces. They're all perfectly happy where they are. Nobody's going anywhere. Um, and you know, after I did that, I, I emailed the guy back, uh, that customer, and I was like, "Yeah, there was—it's nothing. Nothing's happening." Um, and then the next morning, I got an email from another. Uh, customer, Oh, are you, are you, you know, can you, uh, eat, you know, that was this morning. Uh, are you available to work with us on this project now? And I'm like, there's no way. And I'll tell you, you know, since he wrote back and said, do you know anyone? And I'm like, no, I, I literally yeah. don't know anyone that's, that's interested that's case, in working yeah. because it's crazy out there. So if you were, if you're okay with not being an indie and you want to make money building software, okay, be a contractor. <laughs> Or Or, go take a job with one of these companies. it's you know either way, there's tons of money to be made as a developer. It's just not while being an independent software developer
1: I've been telling you guys this for a year. yes, you have <laughs> but um yeah, I think it's a sign that the industry is maturing. Right. I mean, there's we're, we're no longer and we've been saying this for a year, too, that we're no longer in the wild, wild west days where, you know, you write an app in an afternoon and just shove it on the store and it, and it makes you a million bucks. It's not like that anymore. And and it, I mean, you look at any other industry, right? It, there's there's a natural progression away from uh, smaller, independent people doing doing whatever, whatever it is to. Consolidating into larger companies. I mean, the, the regular software industry is, has been like that for a long time. It's pretty tough right now to write a you know write a word processor on your own and get it get anyone to buy it.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm.
1: been it's been like that for a long time. So I don't think this is too surprising.
3: No, it's not surprising. Nobody here is surprised. Yeah, but you know, and, and actually, to your point, Mark, I don't know that it ever was a good time. To post an app on the store and get a million dollars. I mean, with you know the the fart app exceptions and stuff like yeah, that. But
1: the first first six months to a year were pretty crazy.
3: They were weird, uh, yeah. but uh, they they were. I don't know. Uh, I read another article by someone else. I I don't have the link for it right now. I'm sorry, but they sort of went back to 2010 2011 and looked at the chart toppers that were there, were there at the very dawn of the app store. Um, they were all large companies too. Angry Birds was yeah, there, and uh, you know,
1: Electronic Arts uh, has dominated the App Store pretty much since day one.
3: Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, be, they, be, they be, would be. play some games that that uh, you <laughs> know were are not really fair to indie developers. I would say with the whole, for example, the dropping the price of of their eight dollar or ten dollar apps to ninety nine cents just before the holiday shutdown, for example. Hmm, right. So they would lock in their top positions. Uh, throughout the throughout the holidays, and I mean, it's always been this way,
3: right? Yeah, pretty good, pretty slick. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. But if you want to work for a larger company or you know a company, then you know that's that's how you can make a living doing this.
2: Yeah, I've gotten tons yeah. of recruiter emails. It seems in the last two <laughs> months, maybe way yeah. way more than yeah. As than I, usual. Yeah. I don't know what's yeah. been going on, but uh, beginning of the year, budgets freeing up or whatever, but. Usually I'm like maybe a couple a week, two or three a week, but it's been like one a day kind of on average these days.
1: And bigger name ones as well, uh, at least for what I'm seeing.
2: Yeah, they're much better about name dropping these days, it seems. It used to be yeah. like, you know, I have a large company downtown, but now it's like, nope, here's right. the name.
1: Yep. yep.
2: Actually, on that theme, this might be as good a time
3: as any to tell you. Uh, remember, Greg, I had to whisper it to you last night? I did, Uh yeah. the, the name of my employer, uh, it, came, mm-hmm. it came up today, uh, and uh, they said, you know, you can actually tell everybody about who you're working for. That's fine. Just don't tell them the name of the project. Ah. I was like,
2: oh, okay. Let's hear it, Aaron. Yeah. What is it? Who is it the mystery is. client, that the dun, large, dun, impressive dun. client that you've been working with this last little while? Last little while. It's Walt
3: Disney Studios. Nice. And And uh, so, it's been great. I can only tell you that. Uh, working with awesome people. So... They are amazing, and I'm really looking forward to actually when the app that we're building launches, then I'll be able to tell you about it
2: then. But so, not, what's the product you're working on, yet,
0: Eric?
2: <laughs> 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 it's called... <laughs> Maybe next time you can whisper that in my ear, then. Maybe.
0: Um, whisper sweet nothings in his ear.
3: Yeah. So, I, I've been uh, at the meeting last night, again, you know, a number of people asked me, and um, I I was... Uncertain, and so you know, Uh taking the safest approach said nothing. But it just happened to come up today in the Slack, and I said, "So what? What is the policy?" Because I've been really playing it safe, but people are getting a little, you know, confronting me about this. You know, come on, who is
2: it? You can tell me. Um, And so they were like, "Yeah, it's okay." Well, now I'm disappointed because I only had exclusive knowledge for like what a day, not even twenty four hours. Twenty four hours, yeah. Too bad. And it was
3: okay all along. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yeah, it's always better to check. But yes, though.
3: in the uh, in the uh, tradition of name dropping, you know, as you're right, it's happening more and more. It's uh, you know, people are not afraid to tell you who it is because they need every advantage they can get to find people to work for them. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it's the time of year. I just think it's um, it's the increasing, ever increasing froth of companies and. Um, the world moving to software moving to iOS because yeah. it's it's everything it's you know it's so important you know there's yeah. not a single company i don't think that's not hiring
0: that's true and and and, and i mean the, the recruiters have they basically have messed things up for everybody because they've been going around and not doing their homework in fact like i got one today or a couple yesterday got an email from a guy saying oh i checked out your linkedin profile and you know this company downtown is hiring and they, you'd be a perfect fit for them. And I thought, well, if you really looked at my... And he told me who the company was in the email. And I said, if you looked at, the, at my LinkedIn profile, you would see it's the company I work for currently. Oh, my good Lord. <laughs> so, obviously, their algorithm is flawed.
2: Wow. Desperation. Well, you know, Tim, I hear new hires get paid more, so you should have applied for it and gotten a raise.
0: Yeah,
1: somebody was telling <laughs> me I should, I should
0: I should quit and go back as a contractor. i would heard that one, too. That was interesting
1: yeah actually, what that might be, Tim could just be that the recruiters a lot of the recruiters, for example, on say LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, don't don't actually work for the company and and actually have no oh really real, no real affiliation with oh, they're the like company sales reps kind of thing or, oh really yeah, they find candidates, and if they can bring in a candidate to the company, uh, ah. then they get well they, I don't know if they get paid by candidate, but if they, they get paid when the, when there's a hire:
0: sure, yes, of course so yeah.
1: so uh, you know so they don't necessarily have any idea. That you work for that company. Well, I guess I could have seen it on your profile, but
0: yeah. Like he but, said, in, uh, he said in the email, I looked at your LinkedIn profile. Like no, right. you no, you didn't. You you searched for iOS. You searched for Toronto. You searched, you know, blah blah blah. And, and, and then
1: he sent out a thousand of these. So yeah, to everyone who fit the criteria. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They're bounty so, hunters. So it's a new form of spam. But like I said, you know, yeah. they, they would they're hurting themselves by not doing their homework, right? So, or I mean because you just stop listening to them. you be, we, we become tone deaf to them as developers, you know. And I didn't get this job through a recruiter. I got it through a friend who said, hey, why don't you send me your resume and I'll send it to my boss and there you go. And that's how I ended up where I am.
4: Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie DevStock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie DevStock is about making connections. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and ideas with you. Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face and more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out, or trying to decide if going indie is right for you. We're all in this together. In addition to the inspiration talks, you'll also have an opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help level up your skills. During this 2-day event, not only will you get to experience southern hospitality at its finest, but you'll also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information and to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there.
2: All right, Aaron's gonna come oh, back. He's coming back. I can't believe we already have WWDC wish lists. It seems early, but yeah, they're timeless, I, I suppose.
0: But I knew this was—I yeah. knew this was uh, Aaron because it's Stephen stratton Smith, you know. So it's—it's <laughs> it's time to start talking about WWDC. Woo! Take it away, Aaron. Um. Turns out,
3: like I was just uh, at the meeting again last night. Uh, it seems that we 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 are WWDC to come along. Um, in the next few oh, weeks, that's true. Right,
0: that's true. Yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, Mark was telling me Pavlidis, not um, not you, Mark. So um, was telling me that the uh, announcement generally happens in March, late March, April time frame. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we shall see if that happens. Now, Steve Stratton-Smith, who is a prominent UK developer. Mm-hmm. Am I, is I right about that? He's in the UK. surely. with a name like that. So, Come yeah. on. It's got to be. So it's got a hyphen in it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So he, he <laughs> has put together this really lovely post uh, talking about the things that he would love to see Apple do uh, and mm-hmm. announce at WWDC. Uh, Some really nice ideas here that, uh, you know, some of them are little things and would be great to have. uh, And some of them are, wow, that would be something if they did that. So, um, and it kind of goes from the top down. You know, like I'll cherry pick a couple of these that, uh, that I like. Um, Custom view controller extension providers is one of the headings here. Uh, Basically the idea that an app could create a VC that you could um, make available to other applications um, sort of a you know, uh, an evolution of, of the capabilities that exist now in the extension framework. So um, that would be really amazing to see that happen. Um, not too exercised about the command key for the iPad keyboard, but I will bet you are, Tim, because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we need more keyboard shortcuts. Yes, on the iPad. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. Drag and drop in between multi, uh, multitasking screens would mm-hmm. be very nice to have. Uh, he's asking about all apps should support split screen. And that is for sure true Um, from Apple in particular, right? The system ones. So they, they still haven't really, you know, put them together. Um, they're still working on that. And then, uh, so then he says, okay, that's the easy stuff. So let's talk about the big things. And, uh, he's got two, two, the first two, I'm just going to be like, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) the first one on this list, unified app platform between iOS and OS 10. That to me is top of the list. I would love to see that. Um, so when, when Apple was developing the photos, the new photos app, if I'm remembering in this incorrectly, let me know, stop me. But, uh, it was revealed that they were using a framework called UX Kit, and that framework was being shared between the iOS and Mac code bases, so that they were able to write most of those apps at least it seemed in uh, using one UX kit framework right. uh, If we can have something like that that's actually publicly available to developers, I think it would it would mark a huge uh, rebirth potential for OS 10 as a platform, uh, because we know that of late, at least, uh, OS 10 has really uh, languished quite a bit. Uh, not as many new apps coming out, and don't even get me started on the App Store. Yeah, so, I don't know. There's so many great things here. Xcode for iPad, it goes without saying. Um, file and disk management for iOS. A terminal environment for iOS. <laughs> uh, hmm. You know, like, basically, all these things that we need to make, an like, your iPad Pro, Tim, make that into yep. a real computer. <laughs> such as it is. And, of course, at the very end, fix the Mac App Store. But, uh, great article. It got passed around quite a bit. Um, hopefully, it, uh, it appeared in Cupertino. And... <laughs> And they said, oh, yeah, we're already doing all this. Perfect. He's going to be ooh, so ooh. happy in June. <laughs> Do you guys have anything to add?
0: No, it sounds pretty good. I mean, obviously, Xcode for iPad is something I've been wonder- wanting for a long time. Even, even, and I hate to say this, Aaron, but even a, a minimized version of it, just so I could, you know, get in there and poke around with stuff, right? In um, file and disk management, I have a few utilities that I use to get around that sort of idea. But, uh, yeah, that would be really nice, too. So,
1: Yeah, I would like to see. it wasn't on this list. But I would love to see from Apple uh, a AWS style backend where you could upload your own code to work with CloudKit. So right now CloudKit is just storage, essentially. Uh, but if you could actually write your own server code and and host it on Apple servers,
0: interesting. It with what if they could and, with like a Cloud OS?
1: Uh, yeah, have it work in Swift, for example. Right, uh, as the language that would be very interesting. It, it almost seems like it's conspicuous in its absence at this point mm-hmm. because everybody else has this now. Only Apple doesn't
0: have it. Oh, really? It. They do, eh? Hmm.
1: Sure. Well, AWS is there. Google Cloud has it. Uh, you know, all The ones we mentioned earlier, IBM has it. Windows has it. Everybody has hmm. it. But Apple doesn't have it.
2: Right. What were you going to say, Greg? I was just going to comment on the UIKit native apps on watchOS was one. And he just has a note about wanting UIKit running on the watch. But I think that's kind of it's definitely a problem, watch apps, but I don't think saying we need UI kit, we need a better framework is the answer. It's more just, I don't know, apps on the watch. I'm not quite sold on it just because, not because the framework is bad or anything, or it's slow because yeah, it is. It's just yeah. nobody wants, I'm saying nobody, of course, nobody wants to sit there and fiddle around with the digital crown and browse through an app for a minute or five minutes on their watch. So I don't think that's the answer the answer is probably something else better notifications more fancy complications more customizable watch faces but i don't think saying we want ui kit native apps on the watch is the is the right answer to the problem that's all yeah definitely agreed with that
0: yeah i think i still think that i mean i use my watch every day now but the, the performance is still A real pain in the butt, you know?
2: Yeah, someone, one of the video tutorials I did was about um, animation on the watch. And the example I did for the, uh, you know, the flipbook style animation, you just give a series of frames. And Mm -hmm. the example I did was like a loading animation for a weather app. And then somebody had a question on the forum saying, can I use this to replace the spinning thing that shows up? Because yeah. you know, he's like, oh, that, t- you know, that takes like five seconds, but can I replace this thing you did with that? And I was like, no, that's actually your app, yeah. and that thing is the system thing. So you cannot override it, unfortunately. You <laughs> have to have that. And then in your app, when you have loading to do, you play your own animation. So that was the sad solution to that one. <laughs> and but, you'll uh, probably need yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. If your app even launches, of course, after all that spinning. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Anyway, it was a good list, and uh, very, very thought-provoking. Um, And it's definitely a great way to see how far Apple has yet
2: to go uh, to make us all happy. There's always something. There's always something.
1: So, WWDC is still a little far away, but we've got this... June uh,
2: 13th. Let's say it right now. Declare it right now. June 13th. Is that the week that
0: the, the, the say places available?
1: That's
2: right, Yeah. That's how we usually look at it. Yeah, so it's a little bit later than usual, but sorry. Go ahead, Mark.
1: But anyway, I was going to say there's a there's a a, a new announcement coming out uh, next week, or a or a uh, event coming out next week. That's yes, mm-hmm. right. Are, are we excited about this, or are we kind of meh about this? I'm
3: definitely looking forward like to we're watching gonna get it. A,
1: yeah, we're going to get the you know the upgraded iPad Air or whatever they call it, or whatever. Whether it's an iPad Pro, smaller or an iPad, or who knows who knows what it will be. Mm-hmm the little uh, iPhone 5 was SE
2: okay. is it what they're calling yeah, it yeah
1: right the 4 inch form factor yeah
2: mm-hmm. and maybe watch yeah. that seems to have dropped off the rumor mill but early on i heard watch was released in march and now maybe watch two will be announced but i haven't heard any rumors about that lately this is a while ago that people were. yeah, yeah that's what
0: i would have thought. i would have thought watch for sure without having followed any of the forums but yeah.
2: well the ad had some reference to loop right keep us in the loop yeah or something like that yep. so i was like oh new watch bands is what people are saying that means but i'm hoping that mm. there's more than just watch bands in that there's going to be watch two announced hmm yeah, as far as the phone and the iPad are concerned, I, those sound like
3: incremental updates. Although I can imagine a, a really big market success for a four-inch iPhone, uh, but they don't excite me personally. The watch is yeah. the thing I'm kind of keeping my eye on, though. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: I'll tell you, the stock market seems to be excited about something with Apple. So Apple was really getting killed uh, at the end of last year. Yeah. Uh, to the you know it was it was at. Its high was, I think it was last spring or last summer, was around $130 a share, and it went all the way down to about $90 a share back in, I don't remember if it was December or January, but sometime around then, really got crushed. Well, just in the past week or two, it's been surging, and in fact, there's been a couple of of uh, big uh, stock analysts, uh, Morgan Stanley, I think, was one, and there was another one, I think, that uh, that upgraded them to you know to buy and and that's an anticipation of something uh there was so there was some kind of quote i saw that uh the iphone demand suddenly is is higher than we thought it was going to be and you know maybe this is because of this this new four-inch model maybe they're expecting a lot out of that but you know these guys sort of they're not supposed to know but you know a lot of times they kind of know stuff so maybe there'll be something interesting next week
3: and I've heard a lot of stupid from analysts Mark it's hard to know
1: well that's true that's true it's true it's true yeah
3: but when they when they think that Apple's gonna do well then I'm, I tend to agree with them yeah his history's yeah. proven me right on that at least
1: well it, it's true actually there's there's there seems to be a lot of anti-Apple sentiment oh, yeah. in the analyst community no kidding for, what, for whatever reason so when they do finally go positive there's usually a reason for it right
3: oh that's good cool
2: yeah.
0: Well, for those of you driving in your cars, I just checked the schedule for Moscone West, and it looks like there's nothing happening on the, 13th, the week of the 13th. So,
2: Quote we, we called it here first.
0: Yeah, sure. All right, is everyone here going to try to get a ticket?
3: Absolutely.
1: Sure. Yeah.
3: All right. 3 to 4 no, ain't bad. Can't
1: hurt, can't hurt to try. Can't
3: hurt to try. Well, except for the case where they say like last year, uh, by entering the lottery, you are agreeing to purchase if you're chosen and it happened automatically.
0: Well, I suppose it depends on your employment situation. Nudge nudge wink wink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: yeah, it's true for for you guys it's a, it's a lot bigger of a production to come because you got to travel Ooh, yeah. and stay and all that. For me it's a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just drive up the road. Yeah, yeah. So Mark, you know, we were talking to Greg about his move down to California. There, what do yeah. you think? What do you think about not having a car in in the Bay Area? Well, I mean, the challenge for him—he'll and tell you about it, I'm sure—is about the, the license situation. But, but sorry. Oh,
1: uh, okay. Yeah. So, so in general, if you live in San Francisco and don't have to leave San Francisco very often, then you can get away with that without having a car, no yeah. problem. Yeah. But if you live Anywhere else in the Bay Area, it's pretty hard to get by without a car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just because things are spread out, it's you know it's very everything is freeway oriented down here. Um, hmm. it, it's it's tough. It's tough. There's not a lot of public transportation outside of outside of San Francisco, and I mean there's there's BART that goes to the East Bay, but but it, the the public transportation down south here, uh, San Jose area and Cupertino area is not great. There's some, but it's not great. There's no subway or anything, so it, it's a it's a tough proposition if you're going to you know work down here uh, uh, to not have a car. It can be done, of course.
0: But- yeah, well, I'm sure the big companies, the Googles and the Facebooks and stuff like that, and Apples must have shuttle buses and stuff for. for their Well, parties. yes, they
1: do actually. That, that's that's true. The the big guys do. Yeah, the you know certainly you know Apple and, and mm-hmm. Google and, and uh, Facebook they all have shuttle buses. Yeah, so as long as you live somewhere close enough to a shuttle stop you're you're fine. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. worries there. Yep. Uh yeah, and that but that gets you, you know, to and from work and that's it though. It's yeah if you oh, want to say, do yeah. anything else, it's it's tough. I mean a lot of people live up in the city in San in San Francisco and, and will take a shuttle bus down to, you know, Mountain View or Cupertino. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you can since you're living up in the city, once you're home, you can you can uh, you can get around pretty easily.
0: Sure, right, right. Yeah.
1: But on the other hand, it's, it's really, really expensive to live up in San Francisco. So that's that's the downside.
0: Right, right. Don't worry about
2: me, Tim. I'll be just fine without the car.
0: Yeah, I know. Just just looking out for you. Well, we, we're, it's funny, Mark. We always talk about California and, and transportation and geog- geography when you're not yeah. on the show. <laughs> when I'm not on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Aaron, you put something on here about Swift naming convention. Is that related to open source Swift or something? Mm, or? Well, no. This is about the
3: Swift Evolution Project. Where okay, which uh, is? Which, well, we talked about this before on the show. When Swift went open source, one of the branches of that open source project was Swift Evolution, which is where people make proposals about how to change the language. Mm-hmm. And so when these proposals are discussed at length on the mailing list and... Um, accepted eventually it's kind of a big deal because it's happening you know it's not just within apple and this is the thing that will continually amaze all of us who are observing this process that uh the outsiders can participate right so this is is what happened and i think it was today today uh, chris latner accepted proposal number 46 which changes the language uh by actually uh, proposing a rewrite of all the functions and the way that they are laid out. So it's not a huge deal, but uh, I think it's going to make a nice difference uh, for the way people use Swift. Um, The idea being that the first parameter in function calls are often taken as part of the function name, and the, the name of the parameter in the brackets that would appear is omitted. This proposal will change that such that all parameter names would be used in the name in the uh in the parameter list of the function. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Okay. And it would also change uh suggest changes to the names of the functions themselves to not include the first parameter. Oh, okay. Okay. So the idea being uh the, the proposal that I'm looking at right now and that we've got a link to in the show notes uh, doesn't give a very nice example of it. Uh, but uh, you say like, uh, I don't know, like uh, class circle and method or function, you know, uh, name with radius and then open bracket and you'd provide a float, for example, comma diameter. And then you've got the name diameter, right? Well, now it would just be circle... And then, bracket radius float, comma diameter float. You with me? Uh-huh. <laughs> so the idea being that functions would be much more clearly named. People like this.
2: Yeah, I disagree with you on one thing you said there, and I think this is a huge deal. There you, you said, go. said that's not a big deal, but no, this <laughs> is like game changing. This is the kind of thing that personally I thought u i kit two comes along, full Swift support they're going to finally fix the crazy naming that we inherited yeah, from Objective-C. Yeah, but now yeah. it's like, nope. because before this, there was a big discussion about how are we going to sort of normalize the names because Objective-C is still Objective-C, UIKit and Foundation are still with us. Is there some kind of s- m- clever mapping that we can do to get those names normalized over when you call them from Swift? And there was this long thread and all kinds of smart things that they're doing to get that. And now this is saying this is the way forward for yep. Swift, at least, which is pretty cool.
0: So the first parameter is going to be part of the name now? Or it's going to no, be no, that's, that's ske- how it is now. We're going to remove it so that the... So it's more like Objective-C,
3: right? It's less no, like Objective-C. no, it's less like Objective-C. Uh, less you know okay, the
2: first okay. parameter in Swift methods, Tim? The first yeah. parameter, by default, does not have an external name, right? That's correct, yes, yes. Now, but that's weird, because why do all the other ones get a name and the first yeah, one doesn't? I have, so I have they're I have saying, that you know what? Every parameter now has a name. That's what they're okay. going for.
0: So, so it's much more
2: readable. It's as readable as before, but the method name is not as crazily mangled as it used to be, right? right, If you have an add method, it's called add, and it takes a parameter called view and a parameter called uh, index, right? It's not add view is the name of the function with another parameter index stuck on as the second one, right? That's the idea.
3: Yep. Yep. That's it. That's all I wanted to say about it. It's cool. It's amazing.
0: Oh, and it's written by Erica Sedun as well. Yes,
3: Erica Sedun. I mean, she is... uh... Man, she's like white on rice on this uh, Swift thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. Fully bought in. i will also say the proposal, when it was under review, got a, to me, a surprising number of plus... I don't think I saw any minus ones. Everybody gave it a strong plus one. You'd think yeah. there'd be some... I don't know. I thought there'd be some... Dissent. Grumpy well, people. Aaron hasn't voted yet, so... That's true. I thought there'd be some grumpy people <laughs> saying, no, you know, we should encode this part no. of the name because it gives distinct names. Otherwise, you have 10 functions called add, right? And yeah. doing it by type is not a good idea, blah, blah, blah. But I think, I don't think, I mean, I don't pay that close attention, but I don't think I saw a single minus one vote on the thing. I don't think Ooh. so. But uh, I'm personally, I'm in favor with this. I'm okay with this. It looks good. You know, me too, for the record. I do, it's much earlier than I thought it would be, but I'm happy to see it. Very aggressive. Um, I mean, and as long as, um, you know, they're good, the, the proposal talks
3: about uh, Xcode migrator support, Uh, for for making this this happen right uh which should also be very necessary and i think i've said this before we're talking about other changes coming to the swift language that i hope the migrators are good (laughs) i hope they actually are effective and work well and don't screw up your code Uh so that's it
0: all righty all righty so before we button it up did you want to talk about your ask mtjc idea yeah, let's do that. Um and now that we now that we got the four sort of the four of us.
3: Okay. So this is just a proposal that I have, uh, because I was listening to um uh upgrade the uh, podcast uh for the first time this week. Uh for some reason I just had a lot of extra time to listen to podcasts this week. Hmm. I think it's because The talk show didn't come out. Didn't get a talk show episode this week. Um, Anywho, I listened to Upgrade, and they had a a segment called Ask Upgrade, where listeners could come right into the show to ask questions, and it's really just anything. It's anything, really. It's like um, on the last episode, it was, um, you know, which do you think Apple would do first? Uh, Rewrite iTunes. um, Go full-blown family sharing on photos. Or write a new file system, you know. And John Syracuse, who was on the show, <laughs> enjoyed that answer, um, you know. And they just ask other questions. And another question was, you know, uh, what's the most played song on your on your iTunes right now? Um, so it's all over the gamut, right? So I just think it would be really nice to, to be able to have a way, an official way on our show for our listeners to, uh, participate in the programming of our show. So if anybody's listening to the show and would like to know anything and would like to hear us talk about it more to the point, uh, they should write to us. Uh, the best way probably is to go through our Twitter account. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or or the, or on the uh, the, uh, the website they could do that as well. Some people do. Yeah.
3: Okay. So hit us up, and uh, if if anyone does, then we can cover it on the next show.
0: So Greg, did anybody talk to you about being on the podcast when you were at RWWCon? nobody mentioned the podcast
2: to me but you know you're the you're the official host and the face of the show so i think you met four fans of the show is that right
0: at least yeah 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 well i mean there are a number of members of the team who are listeners to the show not everybody on the team listens but right yeah no i ran into one guy who just looked down at my badge and went timitra and i went yes and he went you know i listened to your show it's great you should make it longer he said
2: (laughs) (laughs) no i came and i tackled him yes i remember him
0: (laughs) and our uh, friends of the show jesse and uh, Katie I think is yes. his wife's name yes. uh, the, the cat people I call them but um, which they said was okay uh, what's the Twitter handle for those guys?
2: Jesse Meow and Katie Meow, Katie with a C. Right.
0: Um, they they were, you know, at the, the conference, they were bubbly and exciting and, you know, very interested. And they had a few things to suggest. And um, there was another uh, gentleman, I've forgotten his name now, I apologize, who came over and talked to me a couple of times about, uh, he follows Aaron and myself on Twitter as well. Um, and he was quite excited to Brandon, I think his name was um was excited to see us and at least talk to me about the show and you know give us some suggestions of what he thought we could do as well so hmm. people people do listen people do have do do have feedback and which is good and we thank you very much for that so yeah
2: that's freaking awesome actually i just yeah. get the usual video tutorial recognition and people asking to take selfies so i got that a couple times oh yeah you, you you're not anyone unless you have a selfie with craig keogh
3: of course not <laughs> hey get the phone will you tim yeah, that's Mark, actually. Damn it. Hey, Mark, get the phone. <laughs> Maybe it's pizza. Mm, pizza? I love pizza. <laughs> so good. Oh, God, pizza's so good. Um, okay. It, Tim, we should button this up.
0: Sure. Um, now, how, now, now you, you did suggest last week that you were getting a little tired of our normal way of, of introducing this segment, which we call Picks. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So how would you like to do that? Well, just say, you know, anybody got any picks? Hey, Aaron, you got any picks? Yeah, I totally do.
3: I'm, it looks like I might be the only one who does this evening. Oh, I um, do too. They're just secret. Um, oh, fantastic. I have
0: a pick too. Mm. Oh, oh my God. God. Good no, Lord. we got to start with Mark. we got to start with Mark. M-G. No, no, no. Let's start. We'll
3: save it for the last. Yeah. I think everybody would like to keep me in suspense on that one. So here's my pick. <laughs> it's a website called 123D Circuits and it's made by a company that is very well known. I think it's Autodesk. They are the makers of various, yes, Autodesk 123D Circuits and... So you know who Autodesk are. They make CAD software. But they've also got this website that allows you to uh, build and simulate electronic circuits uh, from the comfort of your web browser. Um, and the way it works is it's gorgeous, actually. Um, you, can, you get like a work area. You put a breadboard down, which is like a, an electronic component that allows you to very quickly wire things together in real life, right? So this is like an, a digital version of that. You get a whole library of electronic components, resistors, capacitors, batteries, LEDs, switches, motors, you name it. There's not everything, and that's one of the things I'll mention in a minute, but there's a lot of them. And you basically drag them onto the breadboard, you wire them up, you plug them in, you can connect wires to all the different components. And then you can press the simulate button and mm-hmm. see how it works. And if you're like me and don't know what the hell you're doing, uh, you plug an LED in and a battery, a 9-volt battery, and you blow the the LED and it goes flash, you know, and it's got a little explosion icon on it. Um, <laughs> so, it shows you when you've done the wrong thing, too. And that's that's actually the most powerful feature of this this software. So... If you're trying to learn electronics, as as I am, uh, because I know very little about it, but I am deeply fascinated uh, because I want to make little electronics projects of my own. Uh, this is a wonderful tool to kind of explore that world um, and to do it sort of for, for free. <laughs> it's free! Wow. So you can uh, give this a shot. And there are tutorials, basically. It's a little difficult to kind of find your way through this thing um, because there are a lot of different uh, people who contribute, it seems, to this sort of a community of electronics enthusiasts who have built all kinds of different projects. And some of them are just, you know, here's a project I made and it looks really cool. Try it out. And there are also tutorials and even go, through, go so far as to have uh, lessons that you can work through while actually working with your breadboard and the electronic components. So as I worked through it uh, in the last few weeks, I was able to uh, learn the very basics of electronics and knowing when it's right to use a mm-hmm. resistor. Um, and putting a mul- there, uh, there's a multimeter, so you can put the multimeter on. Multimeter. And wire yeah, your components yeah. through it.
0: Here we go again. Pronunciation. Uh, multimeter multimeter it's for sure multimeter, multimeter, yeah yes. multimeter yes. Over okay here too. <laughs> you know on yep. twitter they say that
2: you shouldn't mock people for mispronouncing something because they learned by really? reading well this is an audio medium so i think it's uh, i think it's justified
0: i love listening to the ray winderlich uh, podcast well, and, and listening to how mick pronounces things you don't just screw <laughs> you guys
3: so anyway check it out it's a great resource
2: and uh i've really enjoyed using it cool I was actually just going to ask that, Aaron. Is there like... Because I I used one of these before. I remember a long time when you wired up and there was like a multimeter, like an ammeter option where you could like drag the mouse and see what the current was like. So, it has something like that to kind of tell you what's going on? There is an actual multimeter
3: (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you can drag onto the breadboard and and wire it up. And Uh it works like a physical multimeter does. So, I see like a little uh, Arduino here. Uh, So, you have those same kind of things? Cool. Yes. So you can actually, one of the things you can pull out and put on the board is is an Arduino. And you can wire it up, and you can write the programming for it. There's a tab there where you can
0: fill in the code. Oh, I see. So does it, can you then have a sketch that you can export to your actual Arduino, your physical device? I believe so. And you can also go so far
3: as to take your completed circuit and order a PCB, a printed circuit board. So you can actually have like an actual professionally done circuit board made of your design.
0: Have you ever made a PCB? It's pretty fun.
3: Never, of course. I know very so. I know so very little about yeah, this. Some- Tim, I can't even pronounce
0: multimeter. I know, I no, know. it's okay. I understand. <laughs> you can say multimeter. I, under- I understand what you meant.
2: I like, like multimeter. Like I think it sounds it's like better. Altimeter. What do you say, altimeter? altimeter? Sure. Yeah. Altimeter, right? Like when you're yeah. soldering things froze. together with We're your trying your to find out how right? tall that mountain is in Java
0: right. You have to use an altimeter Try to
1: hook up your battery to your Resistore? <laughs> I think Mark is starting to mock us now. Uh, sorry.
0: Maybe it's just me.
3: Anyway, it's a really good resource. The only thing, okay, let me, um, there's a couple other things I wanted to mention about this. Um, it doesn't have every component, right? So there are there certain things that I wanted to try using, and they just weren't there. And there's no option to add other components. You can't make your own. There is another tool called fritzing. Which is an open source project uh, that is a downloadable Java-based app that you can use on Windows or Mac or Linux. Which is, it looks very similar to One Two Three D Circuits. It makes me wonder if One Two Three D Circuits didn't base their look and feel off of Fritzing. Fritzing has. Um, Just a vast array of components that you could use Also including the option to create your own uh, Which makes it a far more versatile tool With one exception You cannot simulate your circuits in fritzing So if you try doing that uh, You look around for the simulate button It's not there You go to the FAQ on their website And they say You know, uh, simulation is something That we're actually not at all interested in Um, So go screw yourself
0: and this is this is an app that you can run on your on your Mac, I think, it or a Windows device. Fritzing. Fritzing, yeah. yeah Fritzing. He's so got yes. some wearable stuff there. Carol, will be yeah. interested in that. Cool. I thought Fritzing was yeah. dancing in the rain in your later hosen. I, I,
3: I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even going there. So. Uh, Fritzing.org is the site for that. If you're interested in checking that out, and you want like a truly versatile tool that can help you simulate or build circuits, it's all the same features as One Two Three D Circuits, except that it does not simulate.
0: Oh, right. Um,
3: and personally, like as someone who's learning, right, I consider that simulation to be of vital importance.
0: Hmm. Yep. Because
3: it's the only way I know that I'm actually doing something that works.
0: <laughs> yeah, without frying things, that's a very important part. That's
2: what I think. I've I know, but you don't get that circus. smell of, uh, you know, yeah. burnt LED. That's, there's yeah. nothing like the smell. <laughs> in the
3: morning, right? <laughs> exactly. I love ooh, the smell of ooh. burning LED in the morning. Title?
0: <laughs> okay, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so, Greg, do you have a pick?
2: <laughs> I do. I have several picks. Because, again, I think Jaime had, what was it, seven in that episode that I really enjoyed? And so I have to outdo him. I have two picks. Seven? Seven, I believe. Take that, Jaime, who's <laughs> not here drugs. It was never Seven. I have uh, two picks. So I'll go through them quickly. The first one is a blog post called How to Pass a Programming Interview, which has kind of been on my mind lately. Oh, cool. Not so much anymore. But it's got a bunch of pretty good tips. And I think it's not like... it's, it's It acknowledges that, yes, what you do in interviews is not the same as what you can do on the job. We live in a flawed world. Sorry. But here's what to do about it. And it was just very well written. I really like the practical nature of the tips in there. So, there's my first pick. If mm-hmm. anyone's out there mm-hmm. driving their cars, heading to an interview, perhaps, then... Uh, pull, over yeah, pull over and check and, this out. Yeah. And my second pick is an
0: app. The exciting thing, though, for those of you at home don't who can't see this, Greg is actually entering these into the notes as he's introducing them. Very he's exciting. very shifty.
2: I've got them saved in tabs, and I'm placing them at the uh, last one. Yeah, month. we know how you're doing it. it.
0: but We're just, you know presentation it's all about presentation
2: second app or a second app second pick is an app called miracle timer from uh morton farcrog if i'm pronouncing that properly my apologies he is on the raywendrake.com team ding Mm -hmm. so there's a disclaimer nice and he has this app which is like a like a pomodoro timer right you get 25 minutes or an adjustable amount to work then you get a break you do that four times or whatever and you get a longer break so there's plenty of these apps out there but this one just has a really nice look and feel to it and of course it has my favorite thing oh it's free and with the in-app purchase unlocks uh, some more things about the settings and it unlocks my favorite thing statistics so it'll tell you how many did you finish when what time of the day are you most productive what day of the week Mm -hmm. are you most productive when do you fail to finish your things when do you do them more often and so on and of course i love statistics so uh, it's a great app just even if you don't use the stats part of it But um, I've been using it because uh, I think I had some app on the Mac, one of those little menu bar things that did this kind of thing. But um, he posted that he had finished this app on the uh, our team Slack. I checked it out and um, I got it, and I got the in-app. I think the in-app purchase is two dollars, one ninety-nine. And so I just unlocked it, and I've been using it for a while now. So it's really good-looking. Does what it says on the tin, as they say. So that's my pick, Miracle Timer. And he has a whole bunch of other apps miracle routine miracle all kinds of things his company should be miracle llc or something like that but uh check it out if you want to be a little more productive or you like that kind of pomo- pomodoro style is that it uh that is it
0: that was nowhere near 11 picks i
2: try i know jaime with his 13 that one time but someday someday i'll do it i'll out <laughs> <do> him <laughs> jaime's sitting there shaking his fist at his at his iphone right now um mark do
0: you
1: have a pick I do have a pick. So this pick is an app called Cabalot, C A B A L O T. Okay. And it's actually it's a real simple app, but it's but it's kind of a clever and useful one. And essentially, if you do a lot of traveling, which which I've been known to do, uh, you tend to you tend to take a lot of you know either cabs or uh, uh, oh, you know, ride Uh like Uber and Lyft and things like that. And one thing that you find, especially with with some of the the ride sharing companies is that the price can vary a lot depending on for example is it a is it a you know, do they have burst pricing uh surge is, you know sur- surge pricing Ooh. yeah thank you thank you surge mm-hmm. pricing yeah and you know if you're sp- standing in one spot or or walk down the street a little bit it's you can get a completely different price or if you wait 10 minutes you get a different hmm. price uh and so what this app does is you put in your location and your your uh, destination, and it will go out and search all the different ride-sharing hmm. companies and tell you what the price is going to be. And it also has a feature that I haven't really tested, but but it looks interesting. It says if you're, you can also put in how far are you willing to walk. And if you're willing to walk, like two tenths of a mile or whatever, yeah. uh, it might get you out of the surge zone, and so you get a much better price. Hmm. So it's actually kind of a cool little, simple little app. It's just a, you know, it's a one screen app basically, but it, it's basically a map. And at the bottom, you know, you you put in your your destination, and it shows you just a a bank of of uh, prices for the different services.
2: Cool. It seems like black and, magic, Mark. How do they? Is there like a Lyft and an Uber API that they're accessing? How are they doing this?
1: Oh, there are. Yeah, there actually are. Yeah. So so uh, Uber and and Lyft both have. Public APIs that developers can use to get this information. Uh, for the so you could put it in your own app if you wanted to. You could you could query Uber and 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 put a you know put a li- a, a list of, of, of uh, or, or not a list but you could you could put the the price and you can even call an Uber from your app if you through their API. Mm. So this guy's just going out and using the public APIs and pulling this information and and displaying. Hmm. Them data he doesn't you know he doesn't uh he doesn't take a cot he doesn't get involved in the booking process or anything he's just showing the information so it's a pretty useful thing i could have used it the, just last week i was down in southern california and uh you know did my regular route and happened to get stuck i had, to, I had a plane to catch so i had to get stuck with a i think it was a 1.8 surge fee Wow. and you know, it was almost almost twice as what it normally was but you know i had a plane to catch Uh, And if I'd had this app, you know, maybe Lyft would have been cheaper. I don't know. So, Cabalot. Cabalot.
0: And for those of you who are wondering at home, two-tenths of a mile is three-tenths of a kilometer, roughly. Correct. Okay, Uh, so my pick is uh, by our friend of the show um, Jake Gunderson, who's also also the host of the Ray Wunderlich podcast or one of the hosts. He did an app a while ago. He told me about called Factor Samurai, which is like what's that Fruit Ninja kind of game where you it's for kids and it's to teach them how to do multiplication and division tables. And he just announced today on the Slack that he's now made it free and he's got like a ton of downloads. How many downloads did he say, Greg? Did you look at that?
2: I don't um, know if he wants to say publicly.
0: He had a lot. It was a lot. Very many. Very many, yes. He got very many downloads. Was it because he made it free?
2: Tim, before you continue, is this... Yeah. I thought he was. He made it free for like the weekend, but it's not still going to be yeah, free, I right? Think,
0: yeah, I think... Yeah, no, but, my, yeah, but it's, okay. it's an interesting game. It's a fun game for if you want to figure work, work out your math uh, stuff if you're a kid and you want to figure out how to divide things. It's cool teaches your math. And well, that's the one, one app that uh, Jake was saying. I spoke to Jake um, a while ago, I think. Uh, oh, I think I might have been on... When he was on Tammy's show, or Roundabout, I was a guest host. And uh, he was talking about this uh, This game was one of the things he was particularly proud of. So take a look at Factor Samurai. All righty. So I guess that's it. Sounds good. All right. So Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to the
3: Twitter machine at AaronVay on Twitter the machine the machine
0: and the machine on twitter people wanted to find you wandering the side road side of the road with your thumb out in california
2: or where would they look for you online they should email me greg at gregheo.com
0: oh by the way did anybody email you since
2: we no one has emailed me yet disappointment
0: this is the sound of disappointment listen
3: Ooh, that's harsh (laughs) that was it
0: (laughs) And, Mark, if people want to find you on the interwebs or whatever,
1: markr at smapsoft.com.
0: All right. And once again, my name is Tim Mitra. I am T I M M I T R A on Twitter. And that's probably the best way to get a hold of me, as always. And we'll uh, leave it there till next week.
2: Please email me and CC Mark. Thanks. <laughs> <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.
0: Bye. <laughs> bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just
1: Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website.
0: And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at
1: mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening.
0: Have
3: you seen the Cookie Monster commercial?
4: Uh,
0: no.
3: No, just came out tonight from Apple.
0: Oh, no, I haven't seen it, no.
3: Yeah, it's an ad for hands-free Siri, and it stars the Cookie Monster.
0: Siri understands the Cookie Monster?
3: Yeah. Oh, cool. In the commercial. You know, Cookie Monster is a Muppet. We can make him understand anything because it's fiction, Tim. Oh,
0: (laughs) no, I, I I wasn't saying that he understood Siri, that Siri understood him.
3: Well, yes, clearly.
0: Yes, because I mean, at the end of the day, it's a human being, you know, voicing the fictitious Muppet type character. Is that so?
3: Is that actually how? Okay, here, let me uh, post a link in the notes here, and then you can have a look yourself speaking, at this Cookie of Monster. Notes, let's look at the notes. That's a good idea. I'm reading an article here about a guy that's upgraded a an original Mac, like the uh, you know 128K. Mm-hmm. Uh, to run OS 10 Snow Leopard. <laughs> How did you do that? How did he do it? Did he Did he install a uh, like a? Well, he he appears to have uh, gutted it to some degree. Yeah. So it was a dead Mac. Oh okay. Um, and so he's got a mini ITX motherboard, so it's like a it's going to be a Franken Mac.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, small power supply, hard drive, RAM, a seven inch USB screen. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> um. Apple Pro speakers, and then he's used. A, he's got a drill, a Dremel, a hot air gun, yeah, knife cutters,
0: uh, yeah. So, yeah, there, there were similar hacks like that in the past where people were taking. I think when the G three. Um, Mac kind of things came out. People yeah. were gutting their old SEs and stuff like that and color classics and turning them into actually color classics is they had the Trinitron tube, right? Turning them into like at least G3 kind of computers, right? Right. Yeah. And, and of course, now the, the logic board in your Mac is tiny. It, it practically would fit in a phone, you know? That's true. It's crazy small. It's Arduino size almost, you know?
1: So, Aaron, this 123D circuits thing is actually something that's sort of near and dear to my heart because I used to work on very similar type things but for the enterprise market where it, it was the same type of software it was circuit simulation and design for but generally for integrated circuits yeah. so it wouldn't be like a breadboard it would be you're designing a chip with your you know thousands and thousands of transistors but you'd still wire it up in kind of the same way you'd hook your transistors up with you know little lines that sort of represented not not actual wires but Interconnects, which are kind of wires, uh, but they're <laughs> yeah. but you know they're on they're on the, the actual chip. Uh, and then there's uh, there were layout tools as well, where where there's there, the circuit side is is everything sort of abstract. There's a symbol that represents a transistor, right? Yeah, and a different yeah. symbol represents a resistor. But then there's the physical layout where uh, your when you make a chip, the way it works is that there's all these these steps of. You know, there's optical lithography and then there's etching and then there's um, you know ion implantation all these things and and all the regions on the surface of the of the chip are defined by these layers so a transistor is a set of layers in a certain configuration so when you lay out the, the, the chip you have to you have to put these basically it's basically a geometry problem you lay out all these different geometries and they're, they're connected in, in, in different ways. Uh, and, uh, you know, so in the early days, there were just, you know, there were two different tools. It was a circuit design tool and then a, then a, uh, a layout tool. Uh, but as time went on, they got more and more sophisticated, more complicated. And now you could actually simulate directly from the layout and it would even go and find parasitics uh, that, you know, for example, you, if when you lay out your chip in a certain way, there's going to be just extra resistances and capacitances that just come from the physical nature of of how you lay these things out how you how you uh you know place the things and it, and and these tools now can can uh pick that stuff up and use that 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 becomes important for like real high speed stuff
2: wow it's pretty yeah, interesting that's stuff that's way over my level man <laughs> gate drain and source that's all i remember from those gate days. drain and source <laughs> and and <laughs> body
1: you got to remember the body as well
2: well the body's usually connected to the uh the drain or something isn't uh, it right?
1: for you on know, the for substrate your wind, usually your if you're a wimp, yes. No, well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> obviously I am because no, no, that, no, that's no, how, no. That's no. how I remember. No, that, it. That's true.
1: It, it us- usually is, but but uh, sometimes it isn't because of these second order effects. Like sometimes, so so you, you might think that the the body is always connected to this to the source, uh, but because there's an actual little bit of resistance in between there, then any current that gets you know. Uh, uh, accidentally injected into the body will apply a little bit of a bias between the 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 body and the source, Mm. which will change the effect of the change the performance of the of the of the device and can change the circuit. So just by not paying attention to that, you can make your whole circuit break.
2: Well, you know, when I was doing these Mark, I was in my room which is vacuum in vacuum in a frictionless surface with zero resistance wire, of course. So I never had these problems
1: with spherical calves. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> with our magnetic monopoles, of course, right? Around yeah, the room.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, Aaron, that kind of reminded me I had to look it up, but back uh, now it's called edX, but it used to be MITx when MIT ran their online, they had a bunch of courses that they were running online and now a bunch yeah. of other universities and I took the the well-named 6002. Maybe Mark you took this way back in the Six, day.
1: 6002. Wow. 6002 yes. and I took, I took that, that. Oh yeah. my god. I took that in 1987.
2: Okay, I took it yeah. when MITX oh. first started. Maybe I forgot, two thousand and whatever, uh, maybe twenty ten or something. I think it was like within the last five years or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, But they split up into three, a uh, three, six double two part one, part two, and part three now. But okay. if you're interested in there, because this is actually where they had an online back then. It was like wow, web based, but it was an online tool similar to what you were talking about, where you wire these things up, and then yeah. you would hit the simulate button, and they would like they would tell you, please make a circuit with this you know, that has uh, this amount of current running through and they give you a bunch of two resistors and you'd have to yeah. put yeah. them in parallel or in series. How am I going to do this? And then you would hit the simulate and it would tell you whether you did it correctly. And so if you want to, you know, say you're an MIT graduate, you should definitely take this. Um, again, it's three pieces now, so you can just take the first part and see how you like it. But it kind of takes you through the theory and the little simulator thing is really cool yeah. to, uh, to do so it. So the circuit
1: simulator is, is probably based on, on something called SPICE. Hmm. Which has been around forever. I mean, this—it was. uh, uh, I think it stands for Simulation Program for Integrated Circuit Something Evaluation, maybe. Hmm. And it was was invented at Berkeley back in the '60s. So, so the concepts have been around for a long, long, long time. Uh, Just the tools are getting—they're always getting way, way better. I mean, just graphically, you know, having this uh, this uh, breadboard, you know, with the little nine volt battery there is is pretty cool. You know, there was never. Never anything that graphically nice back when I was doing it.
3: Yeah, now so with companies cool like stuff. Adafruit and SparkFun, you know, you can buy yeah. these electronic yep. components, put them together. And I know, Tim, you're doing a lot of this stuff too, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, I'm really into this. <laughs> um, yeah. But I'm, I, I don't know, like, everything. There's, I just don't know anything. So yep. um, that's the part I got to get over. Yeah. Anywho, I got to take off, guys. So um, next week, then?
1: All right.
2: That's Excellent. the plan.
3: All right, take it easy.
1: Uh, All
0: righty
2: then. I'm gonna find my MITX certificate and send it to Mark.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want me to to Xerox my diploma and send it to you? <laughs> I think I just on, on the one
2: course because I think now you have to pay if you want to get like a certificate or whatever. But because um, it was the first yeah. run, they yeah. said that we would get ours for free. And I think I actually did pretty well. I did really well in the first two thirds. Nice. And then the last sort of nice. got a little busy, and it got really hard, mm-hmm. and I didn't do as well. But I've, if you average it out, I think I did pretty well. But yeah. I really enjoyed the course, so I just went there and started talking. I went to go um, to go look it up again. So
1: yeah. So when I when I took well when I took 002, there was no computer component to it, but there was uh, a different course called 6012, uh, which was the sort of the the first course in Integrated circuit kind of level design. So so it, basically, we had to design an op amp, mm-hmm. um, which is which an operational ampl- amplifier, which is which is just you know it's a it's a bunch of transistors wired up in a way that it that it uh, amplifies signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we took that, we had to actually type in all of the. Uh, all of the devices and by by text, right? There's no GUI. It was all just a tech a list of list of devices you type in uh, and and the and the connections and you'd you you'd hit run and it would just give you a, a list of all of the currents and voltages of of all the stuff. And just you know in, in text. And you'd have to go in and, and parse that and figure out you know what's really going on. So Uh, but uh, yeah this is this is almost 30 years ago so um things are much much better now there's all sorts of nice yeah nice multimeters and things like that that you can (laughs) 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 multimeters I, I had to, I couldn't let that one go. <laughs> multimeters? Yeah, yeah. Multim- multimeters. <laughs>
2: I'm like, I'm, I'm always like, well, maybe I've been saying it wrong this whole time. But I didn't say <laughs> no, anything. No, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've always said multimeter, but oh, maybe, you know, Aaron sure said it with uh, conviction. So I was like, all right, yeah. maybe I've been yeah. saying it wrong.